Good morning, Cross of Grace. How are you? Well, we are going to be picking up in our sermon series in Philippians 4, 4. So if you could turn in your Bibles there. I have a question for you. Have, have you ever had the feeling in the pit of your stomach when you're about to walk into a job interview or give a speech in front of a loud crowd you, your heart starts to race, your palms start to sweat, and you feel like you're going to vomit. <laughs> That's the feeling of anxiety. Anxiety can be crippling experience that affects millions of people today. It's the nagging feeling of worry and fear that keep you up at night. They make you feel constantly on edge and even prevents us from doing things that we love to do. For me, anxiety sometimes feels like a force that I can't overcome, and it's, and it's paralyzing. For others, it's like they're stuck in this never-ending cycle of what if. What if I mess up in this sermon? What if the plans that we have don't work? What if people judge me? These thoughts can be overwhelming, and sometimes they can even feel... Like we're standing on the edge of a cliff about to fall into this abyss of uncertainty. These are just little events. But what happens when large events hit us? What happens when COVID terrorizes our country and how we live? What happens when there's talks of business recession that could infect your jobs and the security of your future? What happens when Potential of losing your job is real and all your plans and all your dreams are in question. What happens when you hear that someone in your family just died? What do you do when you're looking at your retirement and you're about ready to retire and something tragic happens and you lose half the value in your retirement and all your dreams and plans are crushed? Anxiety is scary, and it's overwhelming, and it affects our human behavior in significant ways. As a matter of fact, it affects us in such a way that I pulled this slide up, and it's fascinating. The, the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia, they created in 1969 an anxiety index. And it measures the anxiety of our society. And what they've discovered, the Federal Reserve, I'll just give this information. There's a lot of talk about the Federal Reserve right now. They have two mandates. Keep inflation low and keep unemployment low. And they use data and information to make projections and to predict what's going to happen in the future so that when they're making their policy changes, those two things aren't deeply affected. And they're currently right now in a struggle of how to do this without going into this deep recession. But one of the points of data that they use is this anxiety index. And you can see this um, on the screen. Now, what they've discovered is that they found that this access, this can give them a probability of a decline in the GDP, or gross domestic product, in the quarter following the quarter in which the survey is taken. 
So, for example, in the survey taken on the first quarter of 2023, the anxious index is 42.4%, which means that their forecasters or economists believe that there's a 42.4% chance that the real GDP will decline in the second quarter of 2023, coming up. So decline in the GDP for two consecutive quarters indicates a recession, which the federal government is trying to avoid. But isn't it fascinating that this index, anxiety, is it's so powerful that it predicts what you're going to do next quarter. So, I have a question for us to think about throughout today. If we were to have an anxious index of our lives, what would it look like? Would it look like this? Because moments of anxiety are unpredictable. They happen. And we have to react to that. So today in our text, God is going to address our hearts in this very common dilemma. Paul is preparing the, the Philippians in this very common thing that's happening in the church at Philippi. So today in our text, God is going to address our hearts in this area, and we are going to be seen, because we are in Christ, we can have joy and peace in every situation. Because we are in Christ, peace and joy are available to everyone that trusts in Christ. So let's read our text this morning. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we need you to help us. This is a very common dilemma that we find ourselves in when anxiety seems to strike at the littlest and most inappropriate times, and we are affected by it, Lord. So would you help us to, to hear from you, Lord? You are addressing this fallen condition of man, and your word is meant to be helpful to help us to find our hope and peace in you. So would you do that today through your spirit? Would you help us to know you more and to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ more and to trust in your peace that seems to pass all understanding? And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in this text, like we described earlier, Paul is showing the Philippians that they can have joy and peace in any and all situations because the Lord is at hand. They are going through many opportunities to be anxious. We go through many opportunities to be anxious. So what is, how does Paul start out? I love, I love how Paul wrote this. I'm a very direct and to the point person. 
And these passages couldn't be more direct and to the point. To where at times they feel like rough and abrasive and not loving. But trust me, they are full of God's love and care for us. And it's written in this way, I think, intentionally to help us in those moments when anxiety just rushes in quickly and directly and offends us directly. So let's look at this and start to break this down. So my first point is we can have joy and peace because the Lord is near. We see that in, 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 in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasons be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So the object of our resourcing is what? The Lord. Not all these things in society, in life that's going on. The object of our joy has got to be placed in the Lord. So who is the Lord? Well, Paul tells them in his letter. I mean, we look back in Philippians 2, 7. He was in the form of God, but did not count equality with God of things to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And he became obedient to the point of death on the cross. But that wasn't the end. It says, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is what? Lord. Paul also tells us in chapter 321 that our Lord will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorified Body, by the power that was given to him to subject all things to himself. That's the Lord. Paul's really clear in one of my favorite parts of um, Colossians in the preeminence of Christ that I'm going to share with us, because this is the Lord. I want us to grab this. Because I think when we get this, our issues and whatever's happening in society that we don't control gets a lot smaller in the face of a big God. Colossians 1.15 The Lord, our Savior, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, our Lord. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. This is our Lord. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That means surpassing all other for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Church, either we believe this about our Lord or we don't. Our Lord and Savior is the supreme master and ruler of the universe in everything that we face in life. He created all things. He holds all things together. 
He is in control of everything. And Paul is telling the Corinthians, or he's telling the Philippians, and he's telling us to go to him. And when you face adversity and you face trial and you face anxiety, rejoice in the Lord. And just so we're clear, rejoice in the Lord. Always, again, I say rejoice. There should be no question when issues and circumstances come rushing at us, what should we do? Really direct. Rejoice in the Lord. What should we do? Any question? No. Rejoice in the Lord. That's the point. It's meant to be direct and to the point because the offensiveness of anxiety in situations in life that hit us are quick and they want to destroy you. And they're Satan's enemies and foot soldiers that are trying to tear you down. So really directly and really quickly, what do you do? We rejoice in the Lord. We can rejoice in Him because He is good. We can trust Him because He is good. Our Lord died on the cross to set us free from our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our problems will crumble before Him and they will obey Him. They will do his will because he has ultimate power and authority over all things. And he is not distant. He is near. The Lord is at hand. In his commentary on this, Walter Hansen said, This phrase reminds the reader again of the imminent coming of the Savior from heaven to transform humiliation into glory. The shame of persecution will soon be exchanged for the honor of participating in Christ's victory. So not only is the coming of Christ near, but Jesus tells us in Mark that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is near us. God the Holy Spirit, he is with us and in us right now. Those moments where you rejoice when you hear of the lordship of our God and Savior is the Holy Spirit just singing, Amen. He, the Lord, will not leave us as people do. He will always be enough. He will satisfy us. The joy that we place in Him will never fail and will be a life spring of joy that will feed and nurture our soul for eternity. In everything, every situation. We have this beautiful illustration in Acts 7 when Stephen was stoned for his faith in Jesus. It says that he was full of the Holy Spirit and he gazed into heaven. And what did he see? The glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In the midst of of being stoned to death for his life, the Lord promises to be near us, and he is. This is our Lord. This is our Savior, Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross for you and for me. And he can sympathize with us in our weakness. This is our King, our Lord. Let's rejoice in Him.
because he is good. And he is near, and he is present, and he is helping us. His plans and his purposes are fixed and will prevail. He will accomplish his plans of uniting all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. He will transform our lowly bodies by the same power that enable him to subject all things to himself. These events in the future are fixed in God forever. And there's nothing that can change his plans. Because he is the Lord of all things, this is why we need him to be the object of our joy. And Paul goes on to say there's something significant that goes on here when you find this identity and you see your Lord and Savior. It produces a public display. So it's not just meant to be internal. It actually affects our behavior. And you see that in verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. There's a public display of this grace that God gives us to go to him and to rejoice in him. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So not only do we have this command to rejoice in the Lord always and in all things, but it's also there's this fruit that the world should see in all things. It should affect our behavior so that the Federal Reserve looks at that and can predict how you're not going to buy something. Well, this is predictable. For in the Lord, the Lord's, there should be this display, this behavior in our lives of reasonableness in all things. Another translation calls it gentleness. And we know that that's a fruit of the Spirit that people should experience and taste that the Lord is good. It should be visible. So why don't we always rejoice? Do you guys go through every day rejoicing? No, I, I don't. Ever have an awesome time, though, with Jesus and his word and prayer, and then you're like, for me, you start driving to work, and you have a meeting that you've given yourself time for, and all of a sudden, traffic stops. And I mean like 2.12, Eden Prairie, 8 a.m., brake lights everywhere, stop. Okay? That has an ability to affect my joy in the Lord. So picture me driving, and I'm saying, yes, Lord, you're awesome. I'm rejoicing in you and drinking my cup of caribou coffee and listening to some worship music and all of a sudden brake lights everywhere. I just turn up the radio and I think, I've got some time. I've like budgeted time for this, so I'm good. And I'm continuing to worship the Lord. A little later, okay. I've gone five feet in ten minutes. Come on. Like literally, what is going on? Did someone do something that they don't know how to drive? Great, now I'm going to be late for my meeting. And guess what comes in? What comes rushing in that fills that peace and joy, anxiety? and worry, and fear. And this is why Paul so wisely 
penned this really common, misused text that some people hate to hear. Do not be anxious for anything. What do you do with that? People hate this verse. For me, I, I seem to, I've had a history of just white-knuckling it. Like, I am not going to be anxious. I don't care. I can, like, I'm super optimistic, so I can just look and see this bad situation and just create a new world in my mind for the different vision of the future. And that seems to do it for me. But not everyone is like that. Some people have used this, and you have maybe been the recipient of um, this is a bat that people can use and say, give you a little tough love. Bible says, God says, don't be anxious. Why are you being anxious? But the gospel reveals that we are dependent, not in our own strength, because we are frail and weak. We can't do this not being anxious. So what do we have to do, Christian? We need the help of another. So God is telling us today that we can have peace because he is near and that we are in him. And this promise is not just through the moments of brake lights that I see in the cars in front of me in that quick moment, but it's also in the pandemic and medical situations. And this is not just temporary. It's being kept until the Lord returns. So we have this hope for our life. We are not to be anxious. How and why? Christ. His nearness, his promises. And like I shared before, anxiety can sometimes take this form of Satan's agents and foot soldiers that are coming to harm you. Ed Welch, in an article, wrote this. <clears throat> Fear and anxiety express our fragility more than our sin. The world is a scary place, and we are finite and weak people. Our power is limited to the Spirit enabling us to trust Jesus and love others. Other than our personal faith and obedience, we control very little. So the fearful and anxious come to God, who is familiar with our weakness. He is our sympathetic and compassionate high priest, Expect to hear gentle encouragements. Expect to hear the patient repetition of his great promise. I am with you. And if we don't turn to him, then and only then can we add sin into this picture. Now, I am very familiar with this. I have battled anxiety my entire life. I fought these temptations and battled them for control of my mind and my heart. And what I've discovered is when that joy starts to flee, anxiety starts to rush in to fill its place. And our first line of defense in that moment is God's word where he says, rejoice in me. Don't be anxious. It's very direct and to the point because those offenses are direct and to the point. And this is our first defense. Find myself in the Lord. Don't be anxious. And God's saying, turn to me and pray. 
I say, God, I know in that moment, I know you're good, and I know you are not unaware of my situation right now. Help me guard my mind and my heart. And I start this battle with God's word here in prayer. I don't believe the point that Paul's getting at here is just this command to just don't be anxious. But I think anxiety is a warning and a call to turn and depend on God. There are good questions, though, to ask ourselves if this situ- in this situation we are being anxious and not turning to God. Sometimes there are things that can be revealed as sin. It's revealed pride in my life. It's revealed idolatry in my life. I say I'm being, I'm being self-dependent, saying I can do it on my own and I don't need God. Not my will, but God's will be done. But I will say my will, I want this more than what I want what God wants. The real battle here is the battle for, for, for supremacy between me and God and control of what is good. What my future looks like, what I define as what I want is good. But God says in his word, no good thing does he withhold for those who walked upright. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I think sometimes our battle is with God and defining what is good. Well, if I were God, I wouldn't do this. Or I think I know what I need to be happy and I just need to tell God about it and we go to him with this approach in prayer. You see, the problem with this type of thinking on prayer or prayer is that I'm defining for God what is good. I'm setting expectations for God to satisfy me in him. How do I know it's not for my good that I'm late for that meeting? How do I know that it's for my good that all my money just got lost in the stock market? How do I know that it's not for my good and God's sovereign plan that I lost my job? You see, the problem is not that we request, it's not that we request what we believe are good things, and we should be able to do that. It's that we hold on to them so closely that the good things that we desire become the object of our worship, and God becomes the butler, and in that is sin. My money, my health for my family, good things, safety for my kids and myself. But what happens is things of creation elevate to the supremacy of object of worship, and we worship those things, and we stop worshiping our Lord and our God. George Mueller lived in 1805 to 1898. He was a Christian evangelist and the director of the Ashley Dow Orphanage in Bristol, England. He was also one of the founding, he was one of the founders of the Plymouth, Plymouth Brethren. In his biology, or bio, sorry, in his biography of George Miller, John Piper recorded this as George Miller faced the most difficult distress with the thought of losing his wife. He said, Mueller did not think he had any biblical grounds 
for being certain that God would spare his wife Mary. He admits that a few times in his life, he was given something like the gift, not grace, of faith, so that unconditionally I could ask and look for an answer. But he did not have that rare gift in Mary's case. And so he prayed for her healing conditionally. Namely, if it would be good for them and for God's glory. But most deeply, he prayed that they would be satisfied in God, whatever he did. And God did answer that prayer and helped Mueller believe Psalm 84, 11. No good thing will God withhold. God withheld no good thing from him. And he was satisfied with God's sovereign will. All this, he says, springs from taking God at his word and believing what he says. In church, I think that should be our attitude to God. Unless, like Mueller, God gives us a gift of faith to believe for something more. So what are we to do when we are feeling anxious? We're to turn to the Lord because he's near and everything pray. So we rejoice in the object is the Lord. We don't be anxious. What do we do? We turn to him in prayer. Back to our verse 6. It says, In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. These prayers, these petitions, these requests are not always just individual. Paul here is addressing the church who's dealing with potentially two women foundational in the church that could cause a lot of trouble and they could it's affecting their unity as a church he's dealing with outsiders potentially threatening to come in and harm and put in jail and affect people there's like lots of opportunity and he's saying he's talking to them dealing with this publicly <clears throat> so only by prayer with thanksgiving in every situation is it possible to stop being anxious about anything this is not just a call, like I said, to individual prayer, but the context here is corporate. We do this, we battle our fear and anxiety and can have victory by humbly turning and submitting to God in prayer with thanksgiving. Example, God, thank you for being sovereign over all things. For sending your son to die on the cross, for providing a window into your love for me, strengthen me here and now to trust you in this situation. And that no matter the outcome, help me to be satisfied in you. We petition the Lord with petitions, supplications. It's a group effort. Lord, meet the needs of my suffering friends. Draw near to them. Give them your peace. Provide them in this situation. Help them. We're supplicating. We're helping each other. We're praying for each other. And, and request. Make your request. Be specific. God's aware of what you are going through. There's something real happening in our lives right now. Be specific with God of how we feel. And the result of this is amazing because God promises 
the result is the peace of God. And that leads to our second point. The Lord promises peace. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. A believer has peace with God by humbly submitting our will to his in Christ and trusting in his good. The finished work of Jesus on the cross is proof that he's good. Peace with God is the first thing that must be realized before we have hope for tomorrow. Our transformed perfect bodies to be like his glorious body, this will be paradise with him forever. So when we think about this, Jesus' death on the cross bought us peace with God. And so no matter what happens, Stephen's being stoned. He had peace with God for eternity. Jesus' death on the cross bought us peace with God, meaning God will never hold our sins against us for those who trusted in Christ. So when Jesus died on the cross... God received payment in full for our sin against him. And now in and through Christ, we have been reconciled to God where he does not hold our sin against us. And that's what it means to have peace with God for eternity. And that's good news, church. We aren't just free from our sin, but we get God. So, because we are in Christ, we can have joy and peace in every situation because our peace has been paid for on the cross. <clears throat> Paul also says, and this peace of God is beyond understanding. So, in our human minds, we can understand, we can't understand this peace. When a situation that causes anxiety hits you, it's completely reasonable to be anxious. It's, yeah, you don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. You thought you had your plans in place. It's completely normal to feel this. But God doesn't work in human understanding. He promises peace that's beyond our human understanding. In a sense... It's miraculous. This peace of God that surpasses all understanding is miraculous because you can't understand it. You're sitting there and your kid just died and you have gentleness on your heart that you don't explain that. You shouldn't feel that way. Because of what Christ has done. It's miraculous peace. And then it goes on to say, 
not cannot, but will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That word guard, the imagery is like a garrison or a special army that would encamp around a castle to protect it from threats from the combatant enemy that would come against it to overtake it. That's that guarding, that garrisoning your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. In the same way in our life, the peace of God is like a garrison around our castle, the castle of our mind in our heart, protecting us from anything that comes to inflict harm. This is the reason, church, that we talk about the gospel so much. This peace of God, this garrison of God, we have to be familiar with it. Why we should daily find ourselves at the foot of the cross in amazement of what Christ has accomplished and look forward to Christ's return and we're bathing our minds in this idea of the gospel of Jesus because when anxiety hits, when life situations come at you, you don't know when it's going to happen. Being armed with this truth of the Lord, of who he is, being prepared to not be anxious but to flee to him in prayer is our grace from him that protects us in those moments. <clears throat> Paul calls these trials in life light-mounted momentary afflictions. They don't feel light momentary afflictions, but God, Paul was seeing things in a different perspective than what we see things. He says these are light momentary afflictions that are preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all compare. So when I'm in my car, man, I've got to remember the Lord is at hand. God is not unaware. He is near me. I'm prepared. This anxiety index that happens, guess what? It's unpredictable. But it will happen in your life. So are you prepared? Hopefully God in his word is preparing us for this moment. Church, this peace with God is at the heart of the gospel that we treasure and that we live and we proclaim. It would be good for us to surround our life with it. So we can trust in God because he is true to his promises. He promises peace. He provides peace because Christ is peace. Our hearts and our minds are guarded and we, as we meditate on Christ, on God's character revealed to us in his word, who he is, God is with us. And not only will the peace of God protect us, but God himself is with us. We see that in Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? To the praise of his glory. God the Holy Spirit is with us. Helping us, bringing this scripture to memory that we don't like, but we should love. 
I hope you end up leaving loving this scripture, the helpfulness of this scripture when anxiety rushes to crush you. It's impossible to just overcome anxiety and put gentleness on by just white-knuckling it and pretending it doesn't exist. I've tried. It's really hard. But you can fake it and people wouldn't know, but you know. Before we can have true progress in this area, we have to reconcile our relationship with God about the future of what he defines as good. So in conclusion, every day and in every situation, Christians can live with joy and peace because of who God is. Because of what Christ has done and because of who we are in him. And this will be a display to all people around us that God is good in the midst of suffering, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of uncertainty about tomorrow. We can have joy and peace always because who we have confidence in and not what the outcome will be. So what are you going to do when your anxiety index starts to spike? Turn to the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't be anxious. Pray. And God will take these frail Christian believers and he'll do something miraculous. What is it? The garrison of his peace will surround us in Christ Jesus. That is his promise to us. And we need him for that. Because we can't do it in our own strength, in our own power. Church, I can't count the times where I have faced this crippling anxiety in my life. And I go and I need help. I can't do it alone. I'm weak. Where do I go? I, I can't do it on my own. I, I go to my brothers in D group. And guess what they do? They pray with me. And they come along and they support me. Life, this life is hard. We can't do it alone. There's moments that you can but there's moments where our anxiety meter spikes beyond our control and it's crippling. And we need to invite others into those moments to help us. And when they pray, I can run to the window of my castle and I can see the garrison of God's peace standing guard. And in that I have peace. And it's beyond my understanding. But God promises it. So let's find ourselves there. When these real moments of affliction happen, and they will, and they do, when these real tensions about the future seem to make everything not understandable, it can grip us, and it does, but God gives us his word, and he gives us help, and Paul very directly, God very directly tells you, rejoice in me in that situation. Rejoice in me. Turn to me. 
Don't be anxious about this thing. Pray, come to me, and I will do something miraculous for you. And you will have the peace that surpasses understanding that's guarding your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And in that we have hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. You know that your word, when you wrote it, has an intended effect on our soul. You don't put it in there to hurt us, but to help us, to address our fallen human condition, where we are faced with anxiety, with fear, with worry about things we can't control. We try to, but Lord, your word rescues us. So allow it to, the simplicity of your word to affect us tomorrow when we're driving our cars and brake lights go off in front of us. When we hear bad news about something happening to someone I love. When our future looks uncertain. Help us to turn to you, to rejoice in you, to not be anxious, but to pray to you because you promise, Lord, to give us peace. We don't understand it, but we can receive it in you for your glory and for our good, we pray. Amen.